part of my heart when I'm teaching, because I teach a pretty radical message. We don't have an everyday kind of church that we deal with. And sometimes I find myself wanting to make things light. But this morning, as I'm really praying over during worship, and that was a beautiful worship set. It was perfect for the message today. I just felt like there was more of a seriousness over me. And I have to, I, I've just learned after walking with the Lord for as many years as I have, is that I've got to go with what the Spirit is saying. And I, and, and I, was, I was reflecting on that. I'm going, Father, is this me? Do I need another cup of coffee? Is this, you know, my own biology that's kind of shutting down? And then all of a sudden, um, a, your pastor and his wife came to my mind, just their picture of their face last night at dinner. And then I felt like the Lord was reminding me is that it did take them a series of years to look like they've had this radical transformation. But they represent something that I want you guys to get jealous for today. They represent something that they couldn't break free themselves in life. In fact, they have pretty tough stories about what has happened and a lot of broken relationships and a lot of pain that went with that. But when I stand here before you and I get to hang out with them last night, they have been radically transformed. And this isn't even normally my tone of voice, and, and I don't even know why I'm setting up this way. I just got to trust the Lord. But I'm talking to somebody out here today, and I don't know who you are. I don't have the gift of the prophetic. I can't look out and, and tell where you are spiritually. In fact, when I look out, it looks like this is a perfect Sunday group of people. You all love Jesus. That's what I see. And I'm going to kind of go on that premise, but what I'm sensing the Holy Spirit is saying today is that he's talking to somebody. And I know that's real, it's like a fortune cookie, but trust me on this one. There's somebody in here that you, probably multiple people, you're wrestling with this thing about Christ that you know that you love God, but there's this disconnect between what you speak about Christ and the experience that you've had when it comes to breaking free. And I'm not here just to talk about our ministry. I'm not here just because it's a fun plane ride up to Napa and it's a beautiful place. I am here because I want to spend every moment of my life serving a Christ who has set me free. And I am praying that this morning, as we prayed earlier, is that I don't want this to be motivating either. I don't want you guys to get motivated and walk out and have lunch and tacos, and we're talking about it, and we're high-fiving, and we're all excited, and a week later, you forget everything that was said this morning. I want the Spirit to so show up, because that's what church is all about. If you want to fill this room to overflowing where people are sitting up and down the halls, is watch people get radically transformed like your pastor and, and his wife. And live that out before a world, because I don't care if you live in a mansion or if you're living in a tent homeless today, is we're all going to face these struggles in life that are bigger than us. And what we need to be as a church is a place where people can run to when the tears are running down their face and their heart is broken, because life is what it is. That is the message of Christianity. It's not about being a bunch of good boys and good girls and coming and, and singing and maybe lifting your hands a little bit. Oh, that's beautiful stuff. But what Christianity is all about is introducing people to this relationship that maybe some of you, you know about, but you haven't experienced. And I'm praying this morning that this message will help drive that home, that you will to experience something that your pastor and your pastor's wife, Jessica, has been able to, to experience in life. And I can tell you from first-person experience, when you taste the things of God, it is so radically transformative that you can't ever go back. Even when the enemy whispers in your ear and even when your flesh gives, gives out, even when you can't even put another breath in your lungs because you're tired of war, there's just something about this drive inside of you that compels you to go forward because of the love of Christ. And I want to make you guys jealous of that this morning. I am with a ministry called Far Reaching Ministries and the Lord has placed us in some of the most extreme places on the planet. We're mostly known for our work in South Sudan, which some of you probably know us a little bit about. 
Uh, I'm going to go beyond that, but I'm going to kind of start there to give you a little bit of a background of how we got to where we are today. Uh, so part of that is I have to give you a little bit of a history lesson because most of you probably have not heard about South Sudan unless you, you've been hanging out with your pastor a little bit. South Sudan gained its independence from Britain in 1956, and the reason that means something to me is because you would think that after a country that had been over foreign rule for as many years as they have, is that once they got that freedom, it would just put everything right. They would go celebrate in the streets if they'd have this freedom, and their country would become a, a beacon for the world. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. Once they got their independence, um, they ended up at war, and I'll get into some of these details how this happened, but they have been at 40 years of declared war and 60 years of continuous conflict. They haven't had a week off in that country that somebody isn't being killed because of, uh, because of a civil war, because of ideology. It's just been a crazy place. In fact, since we have been serving there, over 2 million people out of a population of roughly 7 to 10 million, they don't do a census like us because they've been running from, from, the, uh, from war for years. So we don't know the exact number, but over 2 million people have been killed during the time in which we'd been there, plus a little bit before that. And, and that's why I'm kind of bringing this up. So Africa is a really unique con continent. All of you have seen it on a map, but I've been able to experience it. And, and Africa is a very large continent, and it's broken into just different regions, and they have their own unique problems, and they've been going on for thousands of years. And the, the top part of Africa, it's called the Horn of Africa, and it's predominantly brown-skinned Arabs. And then you get into the central part where a lot of Christians have gone. Uh, that is what we call it East Africa and West Africa. And that's predominantly what you think of when you think about Africa, black Africans. And that's where we spend a lot of our time. And then there's South Africa with its unique problems with apartheid and whites and blacks and a lot of stuff that has been un unfolding before us for the last 20 years and what's going on there. But in South Sudan is really unique because it is the perfect merging of two completely different worlds coming together in a very violent clash. And that's where we have been sandwiched. We have been stuck in the middle of that for, for many years, for over 20 years now, almost going on 25 years. It, and that is a place where the top part of Sudan is, um, is Muslim. They're brown Arabs. And they, have, they are really predominantly about Sharia law. And so South Sudan, which is now called South Sudan, was part of Sudan. And what they wanted to do, according to their religion, is to come down into the Nuba Mountains and in Darfur and in South Sudan and force people by force, by gun, by bullet, by bomb, whatever it is, to force them to convert to Sharia law. And it didn't go real well. South Sudan has predominantly um, aligned itself with Christianity and animism. And in the Nuba Mountains, although it's, it's African black, they have predominantly aligned themselves with moderate Muslims. And they didn't want to be under Sharia law, so they came together for a bunch of years to stop the aggression, the conflict that was coming from the north. It's the merciless, inhumane atrocities that we have experienced as a ministry against the poor and defenseless that is still difficult for us to, to, to reason our mind through. In fact, you find yourself having some pretty crazy dreams when you get to see some of the stuff that we have seen. This has been, it's been a war between people, obviously two different ideologies, but what they did was really difficult for me. I'm a very chivalrous man. You just don't hurt women. You don't hurt children. There's just something inside of me that says that's not what you do. But that's what they would do in South Sudan when they were coming down. It was, most of the men had to leave, and they were forced to join the army, the rebel army that was resisting the advancement from the north. And so it left villages with the elderly and the women and the children. 
And when the enemy would come in, what they would do to them is just beyond what Americans can even comprehend. The atrocities that were committed against children or even women, it's, it's beyond me to be even able to comprehend. And if your mind ran a little bit crazy, you probably wouldn't even cover how bad it was. But what I can tell you, when people have experienced trauma in life, especially the kind of trauma we're talking about, physical abuse and, and death and We've had to deal with hundreds of children that were forced to actually kill their parents or be killed themselves. What I can tell you is when people go through that kind of trauma, you don't just give them a glass of water and say, be filled, Jesus loves you. You've got to be willing to just love somebody in their trauma so much, and you have to be so passionate about seeing them set free that you're willing to walk with them for a year, two years, three years, four years, as long as it takes to, to see stability come in their life. And as a ministry, that's what we've done. Some of our dearest friends have been on the ugly side of, of human abuse. South Sudan in 2011, I was able to be there and, and experience this. It was the most incredible experience of my life. But in 2011, the South Sudanese people got together and voted to become their own nation. Today, they are the newest and the youngest nation in, in our world, and they're called the Republic of South Sudan. And I wish I could tell you that once they got their own independence, that things turned out really well. And unfortunately, it didn't. There's about 148 tribes in South Sudan, and during the conflict, they stuck together because they had a common enemy. But once that common enemy moved backwards, what happened is that the five most powerful tribes decided that they were going to rise up and fight each other for power and control. And so they started killing each other, and that's what we were dealing with. We were going into villages that were, and these aren't villages like we see in Napa. These are mud huts and grass roofs called tukuls. And we'd come into villages, and one in particular that we came in just shortly after the enemy had been there, they raised the entire village, just burnt down everything and killed everything everybody that couldn't get away in that village. And when you walk into that kind of stuff, you realize that evil is still going on and there isn't that freedom that you were hoping that would happen. In addition to the five factions that are killing for power and control, we're dealing with about another 140 uh, rebel groups that are marauding and killing, going from village to village. In fact, in Nimali, I was able to share with uh, your pastor and his wife last night is that in one of the villages, uh, or in Nimali, where our main base is, there was a group of bad guys doing some really bad things to people. I mean, physically assaulting people, cutting off body parts, doing terrible things, and they just couldn't stop them. It was bringing incredible amount of fear to the, to the village. And that's exactly what our enemy wants to do. If he can just get into our village, into our life, into our head, into our mind, into our life, into our marriage, and if he can just create fear, if we are just worried about everything that is going on, then we're so focused on the problem because he knows it just takes one bad thing for it to take our lives, right? So there's a reason that we get upset about these things that can concern us. But what Christ has said is that when you belong to him, there's no reason for fear. Now, I'm not talking about the sound of a gun. If I hear a gun, although I'm used to running towards those type of things, I'm going to get down. I mean, there's nothing wrong with normal fear, but when fear stops you, from your life. I can promise you, because I've seen it in South Sudan, that's his tactic. If he can make you afraid, if he can make you literally just not able to move, then he's got you in a place that you are completely ineffective. In fact, you can't be effective for the kingdom at all. And if you're feeling that kind of fear, if you're feeling that kind of, that, that dominance over your life, I am just praying that as I speak these words that the Holy Spirit will just set you free. Because there is a big difference to be walking in fear, and I used to, and being able to be set free. South Sudan um, has, uh, since it's gained its own dependence, is now, according to the U.S. State Department, it's in the top three most dangerous countries in the world. So please continue to pray for us. 
Not only is it a very poor country, but they have been running for years. And I'm a father of three grown children. I can't imagine. I mean, we've seen some bad things in America. We've seen 9-11. We saw the dot-com bubble crash. We saw the housing bubble. We've seen Afghanistan, Pakistan. We've seen a lot, right? But I have not had to live in a world where my children had to literally run their entire childhood to stay ahead of the enemy. I, I don't know what that's like other than I do know what that's like, but my children haven't had to experience that now that they're, they're grown-up adults. But because of that running, um, liter illiteracy rate is through the roof. But even if, even if there was a lot of reading and writing in South Sudan, the unemployment rate is 97%. In fact, let me say that again. The unemployment rate is 97%. So if there's 100 people that you're sitting with, 97 of them have no chance ever of finding a job. And what I can tell you is when you're faced with those type of obstacles, I, I, I don't think I'm brave enough to act like I've got it all down. You're tempted to worry. You're tempted to run in fear. You're tempted to, to hold on to superstitions. And that's what we want to do is to bring in the light of Christ to just break through of all that. And even should the Lord give us time to be there, we want to be able to help economically that country actually get into stable footing so that people can work. There's just nothing better. It just feels so good when you actually feel like you're productive in life versus when you're sitting around knowing that you're not really doing anything. And we want to give them that experience. We actually employ over 100 people, plus we are chaplains. I'll get more into that in a, a moment. But um, we became the, the, the official training arm for the South Sudanese army in 1998. We are actually written into their bylaws of their country, their constitution. Craziest thing, a Calvary Chapel ministry written into the constitution of another country. But since we have been there, we have uh, trained and deployed over 550 chaplains, really Calvary Chapel pastors that are embedded in frontline combat units. And that's a really unique thing for what we have, what God has called us to do. But the other side of that really unique thing is hard for us as an organization to handle. We've had 69 of our team members in South Sudan die in the service of the Lord. In fact, in the first 15 years of ministry, we had 16 of our team members killed. And in the last six, 53. And those numbers are going to continue to go up. But what, and, and we're going to watch a video here in, in about 10 minutes or so. Um, but you're going to see some of these guys, if, it's, if, the, if I brought the right video, you'll see some of these guys. And these are not just 69 names. These are my brothers. These are people that I have spent time in South Sudan. I have read the word over. I have taught. I have taken through, um, through Bible studies. I have, I have spent time praying over their families. They have laid hands on me every time that I was coming back to the United States. They, they pray for you because they, they love America. The South Sudanese, they love America, especially American Christians, because we got out of our own comfort zone of America, because they've heard about all the beautiful things we have. They can't even comprehend that, the ability to walk into a store, and you have so many selections of cereal that it could probably give you a headache if you thought about it. They don't even understand that, but yet we came out of all that comfort to come to their country to bring the love of Jesus. These are my brothers that love you, and so it's really personal to, to Wes and I, in fact, uh, church, we have several church plants, and in South Sudan, uh, where I'm praying that your pastor and wife will actually join us, they're very brave, um, I'm praying that they're going to join us. We have Calvary Chapel Cush there, and it met about nine hours ago, and uh, it, one day I'll get some pictures to your pastor, and maybe he can show you guys, but our church doesn't look like a normal church. In fact, our walls, it looks like a castle, our walls are really, really high, and the walls are really, really thick. And, and it seems kind of like a little bit more than you probably need from an American perspective, 
But what we deal with over there is we've got to protect the women and the children. We've got to protect our chaplains. We've got to protect the pastors and their wives that come from the United States. Some of you, for my gun aficionados, maybe there's not many in here, but for some of you who know a little bit about guns, um, mostly what we have in our homes, if you're talking about a pistol, is like a 9mm or a 45, you know, it's a little bit thicker. If for some of you who understand that, what we deal with over there are 50 calibers. So in comparison, a 50 caliber, for some of you who don't understand, a 50 caliber bullet it hit me just right, would rip me in half. And so we have to have really thick walls because we have to be ready for attacks when they're coming to try to get the children, trying to get the girls, trying to get the women. And so uh, our compound in South Sudan as well as our compound in Uganda have very high walls. We even use thermal binocular, thermal imaging cameras at night to help us protect the children. We have a school with over 700 children that are in there, and we take it very seriously that it is our responsibility, even if it costs us our life, to protect those who can't protect themselves. Beyond South Sudan, uh, we have grown tremendously. We're actually in 27 total countries. Seven of those countries are in the U.S. State Department's 10 most dangerous countries in the world. So we do really covet your prayers. But what we found in life, no matter how hard a country's been hit, no matter how much suffering, it is the fearless love of Jesus Christ. When, when you bring the fearless love of Jesus Christ into the darkest environments, you, move, you change lives. And I want to remind us, we're going to deal with that in a little bit. Just hold on to that very thought. But when we bring the love of Christ, when we bring the passionate love of Christ into places that we probably don't belong, all because we want them to experience Jesus, no matter what the cost is in our life, it changes lives. What I've found out, we've come through a very contentious election season and maybe even a very contentious uh, COVID season, whether we wear masks or we don't wear masks, and I know we're going through a lot, but I'm just going to tell you something. I have never won an argument with anybody ever in my life with a baseball bat. Where I have moved people's hearts, including professors on planes that are atheists at some of the biggest colleges in our, in our in United States, what I, have, what I have won them to at least listening to my relationship with Christ is love. You've got to have this love that so surpasses your own. Let me say it this way. When I hear Christians talking about our rights, it drives me nuts. Because we have this incredible freedom that God gave us. First of all, we know his son, for those of you who know Christ. We know his son. We have been made right with Christ. We get to stand in eternity. We have been identified in Jesus. We will never be taken out of that spot because of love. And we are to represent to the world the very love that has been showered on us. And I have never been able to win anybody to Jesus with a baseball bat. And if I could just encourage you, it's not about your right, it's about your position. You, you don't just belong to America, and thank God you do because you have the freedom to be here this morning, but you belong to a kingdom of heaven that supersedes any earthly kingdom. And what we are living for is so majestic that it should literally light you up like a Christmas tree. There should be so much joy in our heart if we really understood what we have, and that's exactly what the world's looking for. They're not looking for your preaching. They're not looking for your preaching about masks either. I'm not being rude to anybody. I hate masks as much as all of you, but I would wear a mask the rest of my life, 24 hours a day, if I could win more people to the Lord. Why? Because it's not about my rights. It's about what God has done for me that I may be able to reflect his son to a painful, hurting world, 
and this world is hurting, and that includes right here in Napa, where it doesn't seem like it does, but everybody's life, because of sin, will be shaken by pain at some point. And if they know that you're the crazy Christian who just loves beyond craziness, you just love, 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 no matter what their offense to you, no matter how they insult you, you just love, because you know that that's just them talking in their flesh, and as soon as they get tired and get hit by a fire, those words quit, and then they cry out, is your God real? And may we live so in advance of people's suffering that they run to us when the suffering hits them. That's my prayer. That's my passion. I uh, lead a division called Ghost Operations, which is the invisible arm of you. It's the invisible arm of church into the most dangerous countries. I'm responsible for over 600 underground pastors getting closer to 700 in the Middle East and in very closed countries, and, and I do covet your prayers. But what, what I get a reflection of, I never get a day off when I think about this. The ability for us to come today and me to speak as boldly as I'm probably speaking for some of you guys, for me to be able to do this and for this, in, a lot of, in every country that I'm responsible for, this would cost us everything. It would cost us our jobs. It would probably cost us our life. It would cost us our family. And there's over 2 billion people in this world today that have not heard about the name of Jesus Christ because it's actually illegal in their country. There is still work for us to do, not just in the United States, but globally. And I am just so thankful that I actually get to share some of this because the world does love United States when we show up with the love of Jesus. It, we, we bring so much healing to this world. And don't ever forget that because the enemy wants to make us think we're losing this battle and we're not losing the battle because we can't. We may go through seasons where we're really unpopular, but that's what Scripture promised. In fact, for all of us, so I became a Christian in the, in the late 80s or in the middle 80s, and, and now looking back, I have perspective. You know, I know the Bible says that all those desire to live, in Christ, to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, but it was almost kind of cool. I got to vote for my first president, and then it was almost kind of cool to be part of Calvary Chapel. Nobody really gave you a hard time. In fact, you were really proud to tell people you're Christians. I've seen that change. Now when I say I'm a Christian on planes, I get a lot of scrowls. I even get attacks. I thought I was going to get into a physical fight on a plane, even though I've had some amazing moments too. This guy was really drunk, and he was just angry about Christianity. And when he asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor, and he just exploded, and it actually caused the stewardess to come. The world has changed a lot, but my truth has not changed. The world needs Jesus. And we are the representation of Jesus to the world. Jesus told us that, and these things that he did, greater things than these are we to do. I'm not here to unpack about the healing and turning water into wine. I'm not even going to play with that. I'm going I'm to leave those landmines for your pastor to handle. But what I am going to talk about is that he, it, we are his representation in the 21st century of the love of Jesus to Napa Valley as well as to Sudan. We got to hear that. We represent Jesus Christ, the love of the eternal Father who sent his Son, and now he resides in us, and we get to represent that to the world. I mean, what an incredible joy. We should not look like we have been baptized in lemon juice. We have been, we have been given the fullness of Christ, and there is work for us to do. In fact, our work matters because at one day, the end of the Gentiles, the day of the Gentiles is going to end, and then we get to go, well, for those of you who believe in, in the Bible the way I do, there, there's this radical change that happens with that. There is every reason for us as Christians to be active, sharing our faith, sharing our hope, sharing our love to a world. 
because it's going to hasten the coming of my Savior. And trust me, I've been around for a few years. I'm a little bit tired. I am really looking forward to him coming back. But if he decides to wait another hundred years and he gives it to me, I am going to pull up every ounce of energy that I have and I am going to pour it out for the king, not in my own strength, but I am going to give him everything I have, including my body, my desires, my emotions, everything that I have, I'm going to give him that so that I can actually be found faithful. And I want to encourage us all, as that's the most important thing that we can ever do is to be faithful. And I'm, I haven't even started my message yet. I think tacos are at 2 o'clock, so I can go till about 2 o'clock right now. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I want to take us to Scripture. <clears throat> I want us to, if you, don't, if you have your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verse 11 through 27. And while you're turning there, I want to give you an encouragement as well as a little bit of a backstory. This is an amazingly important part of Scripture. In my opinion, all Scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit and is amazing and is profitable. But this is really important from a perspective that I have as I'm getting a little bit older. As I'm getting a little bit older and I'm realizing that I have less years in front of me than maybe I have behind me, I find that my conversations, I I want them to be purposeful and, and, and intentional. And I can only imagine that if I'm on my deathbed one day and my children come and visit me and my granddaughter... I know that I'm going to love on them and I'm going to try to take away their their suffering. By the grace of God, I'm incredibly close to my children. There's going to be pain when all that happens. But what I want to do is I want to speak in their lives things that matter, that will shake their lives and not just shake their lives, but shape their lives. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows already that he is going to be betrayed by the very disciples that he's actually pouring into right now. And then he's going to suffer and he's going to die. He knows this without a doubt. It is clear because his mind is set on Jerusalem. And this is where we take up this story with that as a background in verse 11 of Luke chapter 19. And as they heard these things, who? The disciples. He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because, there's a reason for it, he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. So he has ten servants. He gives them all one mina. A mina depends on the interpretation, but roughly is about a pound of silver. That was a lot of money back then because poverty rate was a lot higher. So he calls ten servants. He gives them all a mina each, which equals ten minas. And he tells them, or he says to them, engage in business. Most of your translations, and my favorite one, it says, occupy, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he went from a nobleman to a king, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And I'm going to leave this to your pastor too. I wish I could take an hour. I, I say this a lot. This is just so wild what he just says there. He trusts them with a pound of silver. And because he was faithful with a pound of silver, he was faithful with something significant, but in comparison to what he's given him, not very significant. So he's faithful with one pound of silver, and he's given authority over 10 cities. 
So we're talking about the geopolitical, we're talking about the economic, we're talking about the people. I mean, that's incredible responsibility. There is a message in there. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will make it clear to all of us. Because you have been very faithful in, or because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, "Lord, your mina has made five minas." And he said to him, "And you are to be over five cities." Then another came, saying, "Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in, way, laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow." And he said to him, "I will condemn you." with your own words, you wicked servant. That just rocks me to the core. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. And I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus, again, on his way to his own death, his own betrayal and death, he instructs the disciples, and I actually believe that he's instructing me, and Christian, he's instructing you very clearly this morning that you are called to occupy, you are called to do until the last breath of your body comes out. I believe that is a calling for every one of us, and I think that he is giving this as a warning. If you even take the man who he said, you could have given that to a banker, what he's saying is, I gave you a gift, and being afraid of me is not a good answer. You should have at least taken the gift I gave you and entrusted it to somebody else that they could go and multiply it. God is looking for what he has given us in this life. At some point, it has to bear fruit to glorify our king. And I just want to remind us of that. I'm not teaching a workspace message. I need you to hear this on, um, from my heart. This is not a workspace message. This is not if you just start to occupy till he comes, if you start to get passionate till he comes, and somehow you're going to have the favor of God. That is not this kind of message. What this message is, is about, it's a complete shift. It's not even thinking that way. If you have been touched by the love of God like I have and like your pastor and his wife have, if you have been touched, I don't want to please God to get more from him. I want to pour my life out for him because of his gloriousness of what he did for my life. That should be why we want to occupy till he comes. God would use me. In fact, I'm going to be really candid with you. There's, even as a Christian, I am a man who has two left feet at sometimes. I have I have tripped my own self up many times. I mean, that's just what we do as humans, even with the living spirit in me. There are things in my life as a Christian that if we just showed five minutes up here on the video, I'd probably never show my face around here again. I am not talking about perfection, but I am talking about a God that would love me so much that allows me to breathe in life into your pastor and his wife last night. It just drives me to the rooftops to want to tell the world about Jesus, and that's what should be driving us, this incredible passion. Could you imagine if this passion had this, this church had the same passion that I'm talking about? This town would be on fire, but you can't make this stuff up. You just can't get motivated and do this stuff because you're going to fail. It literally has to be a transformation of your heart and your mind. It's just my mind and my thinking are at such a different level that I don't even think that the old guy I used to be was even me. It is just so different. And, and I want you guys to experience that because it makes life so much more amazing. 
Whether you're given 20 years, whether you're given 50 years, whether you're given 100 years, our life is a blip. I, I, I said this to the pastor last night, or to Jessica, I remember who I was talking to. I think pastor had walked away. But I was talking about my daughter, who's now 33 years old, and, and, and I was telling the story where I used to throw my legs up on the coffee table, and I'd put Courtney right there, and I would just stare at her with these big eyes. And that feels like it was five or ten years ago, and now she's 33 years old. It went by that quickly. And what I know is whatever time I'm given, let's assume I get to go to about 100 years, what I know is it's going to go by that quickly. And what my life represents, this short 20 to 100 years, what this represents, somehow it affects my eternity. What I do and don't do here, how I live my life, how I glorify the king, how I'm faithful with what he has given me, somehow it's going to go into eternity. And when I get out to a million years and I come back again because it just began, that little life that you have matters to God. It matters to God because you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. That's what we have been called to be. And I just want to remind us and encourage us again that your life, your brief blip, if you will, at this time, this was not by accident that God had you born here and to suffer the things that you've suffered and to go through the, the, the things that you've had to go through. He did that because he wanted you to shine brightly right here in Napa. I, I just want that to sink in, is that your story is not a waste. In fact, I'm going to tell a story I didn't plan on telling. Sorry, Pastor. Um, I might go a little bit longer than I anticipated, maybe by five minutes. I get to meet a lot of really neat people when I travel, and I'm so thankful for that. And every once in a while, you'll talk to somebody, and it just rips your heart out and brings you incredible joy, too. And this young lady, she's 61 years old, she um, was born in California, and she was raised by an incredibly dysfunctional family. I mean, really badly dysfunctional. Uncles trying to rape her, just, just a lot of crazy stuff. And uh, she was the only Christian that she could remember in her family, and she said, according to her words, I don't, I don't agree with it, but she said she was a homely girl, that not, you know, guys just weren't interested in her when she was younger. And when she got into high school to make things worse, her face, uh, with all the stress that she'd grown up in, she, that's what she said, is that her face really broke out badly. She said that they called her pizza face in, in high school, and she never had a boyfriend, and she just felt so neglected. She hated going home. She hated going to school, and she just felt worthless and horrible. And so she started self-medicating. She had some pain, and she found out that drugs maybe can mask that pain. And then she just found this spiral where she started to hate herself, and and at 18 years old, um, a really well-meaning Christian family, a husband and wife, decided that they would introduce her to a wonderful Christian guy that went to their church. It was going to be her first date. So she goes on her first date with this wonderful Christian guy, and he rapes her. And then he threatens that if she says anything about it, that he would kill her because he's in ministry. And so she carried this for years, and she hated herself, and she said she tried to commit suicide over 30 times. Not that she wanted to go all the way, but she was crying out for help in her pain. Does anybody hear me? Does anybody love me? And she now has cancer, and she is, probably has about six months to live. And I know that sounds all terrible, but listen to what she told me. She said, I was sitting in my hospital bed, and I'm just dealing with all this. I'm just feeling terrible about myself. And out of nowhere, I just felt like the Lord told me, just used my grandmother's name, said, uh, grandmother. And I don't remember the grandmother's name. And she said, grandmother. And she's like, wow, I haven't thought about my grandmother for a while. Then she started to reflect on her grandmother. 
And her grandmother died when she was young, but she said her grandmother had actually had this radical conversion to faith. Her grandmother was very broken, but had this radical conversion towards the end of her life. And she really took her faith seriously. I mean, it just transformed her. And she remembered as a little girl, when she was really lonely and sad, she could go to grandmother and grandma would put her shoulder, her head on her shoulder and she could just cry. And she'd forgotten about all that because life is, has a way of being painful. And then the Lord said to her, what she felt that the Lord said to her, said, honey, I know that I have allowed a lot of suffering in your life, but I love you so much that I entrusted you with that suffering because I needed you to understand the pain in which people go through in this world. And what the world really needs is somebody who will not judge them, but will just love them and allow you to put their head on your shoulder and let them cry until they get it all out, until they can meet me where that is. At 61 years old, with the life that she has, I have never met a woman more filled with joy and promise about her life. The point is that I don't care about the suffering that you've gone through. God can use every one of those stories, but what we've got to get to first is that point where we can fall before God and realize that I can't change this on my own. I don't know how to change this pattern that has been haunting me for 40 years or whatever that is. I don't know how to change that. And when we get honest before the Lord, because he already knows about it, and then we can see the healing come. Because everybody in here can be a shoulder that somebody can cry on because life does get hard. It gets even hard for me. God chose you, body of Christ. Hear me, and he chose me. He chose the disciples, but he chose you, his people, to bear good fruit because he loves the world. He loves the whole world so much that he has a remnant in Napa to glorify his name. And here's something I want to say, and I don't want to take away from that, but I'm hoping that you'll be a little uncomfortable, but in all the right reasons. Here's something we need to remember every morning when we look in that mirror, no matter how we feel, is that God expects us to bear fruit. Our lives should be about bearing fruit. The Bible says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. I'm not talking about the strongholds you're in. I'm waiting for you to be set free from those strongholds. But a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, or, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Here's something else the Lord told me too is bearing no fruit is just as dangerous as bearing bad fruit. God has called us to bear bad fruit. We are his representatives. We are literally his ambassadors to the world. We are heaven's ambassadors. That is greater than being the ambassador to London or Russia or anything at any time, is that you are an ambassador to the kingdom of heaven. Let's watch this video real quick, and then I'll be able to get up here and close. Um, When the war started, many problems happened and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. And we know some, someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Um, at that time, I speak to the leaders and uh, we met together and I said, as in Acts book, the believers when they have the persecuted, most of them they go out of Jerusalem. If you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families, this is good if God gave you this to do. But uh, we, we must to know maybe one day the problems come to our families and to our life. And maybe we will lose our life one day. 
You know, when I left the room and after a time I turned back to see the decision of the leaders, I found 25 people. They stand there and they said, we will not leave, we will continue to serve God here in this area and we will continue the ministry. If we are die, we will go to Jesus. And if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it's first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This, this decision is, you, you know, it's must to, to, to take it directly. And most of the uh, Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian, they put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the uh, area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. You remember when I told you about the stories about the man who uh, was his son and uh, they bring them and they ask them to leave uh, them faith in Jesus Christ. But the father said no and the son said no. And they asked the father, if you don't uh, come to Islam now, we will, we will kill your son in front of your, your eyes. And after that, they cut the head of the son and they start to play football in his head, front of his father's eyes. This is something incredible. You cannot understand what's happened. But through all this bad news, you can see the hope is growing between this uh, uh, difficult and uh, bad people. You know, Sometimes many people ask me why, why you continue in the ministry in Syria, especially in this time in the war. The important things for, uh, for our life to be in God willing. This is our call from God to, uh, to do the ministry in Syria. When we are inside the, the God willing, that means we are in the safe place. But if we are go out of God willing and go out of Syria, that means we are in the dangerous place. Maybe I, I can go like to Lebanon, to Jordan, to US, to, to anywhere and continue my life there. But that means I am go out of God willing. That means I am in dangerous. The important things in our life, not to be alive, but to be 
with Jesus willing. But if I am in, inside the dangerous, but in God willing, that means I am in the safe place. This is my belief and I trust in Jesus. He will keep my life and when he wants me to go to him, I am ready to do this. When I go, don't cry for me in my father's arms on me. The wounds this world left on my soul I'll be healed and I'll be whole. Sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus' face. And I will not be ashamed For my Savior knows my name It don't matter Where you bury me I'll be home and I'll be free It don't on my soul I'll be healed and I'll be whole sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus face and I will not be ashamed for my Savior knows my name it don't matter where you bury me I'll be home and I'll be free It don't I almost cut out the last part, but every time I see my brothers, it moves my heart because those are my friends. And there is a cost. But there's also a beautiful side too, the unexpected. You got to see Danny. I got to, uh, he, he leads our Syrian team. And I got to be with him two weeks ago, I believe. And uh, I got to share with them um, how their story of Syria has really touched some people. Their story has been written up in a, a book by a good friend of mine. And uh, he wanted me to pass on a message. 
is that the tomb is still empty. So we've had a lot of our brothers in South Sudan passed away, but our team in Syria is all these years later still completely healthy. In fact, I want to tell you one story and then I'll, I will close. I wasn't going to tell the story, but I think it's important. Your backgrounds matter. Your backgrounds absolutely matter. You may not think that they, they may seem like this hodgepodge of craziness, but God can actually use that. So in, I won't tell you the country, but in, and for those of you who are into geopolitical issues, you're probably going to know exactly where this is, and that's okay. Um, but where the Taliban is, it's uh, not a very nice place to be. And there's one of our team, uh, they're a younger couple, and they just had this heart. They were having these dreams and visions about going into the heaviest Taliban area, controlled area. And uh, they didn't really want to, because it's not a place you want to go. It's not a fun place at all, especially for food, medical health, jobs. There's just nothing there. It's a very, very tough place to be. But they knew they were supposed to go. So they got there. And when you get into the Taliban area, because of the war that's been going on, um, they're very distrusting of everybody, including people of their own skin color. And they said, sorry, you can't come in here unless you're from this tribe, which this particular large group of Taliban were from. And the wife spoke up, and she didn't want to go back because she was actually from the Taliban tribe. And when she said her family lineage, they were, she was allowed to go, they were allowed to go into this heavily Taliban area. And when they got in there, a few days later, she ended up getting really sick. And you don't want to go into a hospital in the Taliban area. You want to get out of there. And uh, she didn't really want to be there, but she was being kind of obedient because she knew God had been calling her. But she had this sense that she was supposed to stay and go into the local hospital. And so she's really sick. She goes into the local hospital, and God uses that as an opportunity for her to start sharing with Muslims that are in her same room as well as the nurses that were caring for her. And she ended up leading a bunch of ladies to the Lord and started doing a quiet little Bible study in there. Her husband, being really bold and sometimes probably not, he probably speaks before he should, he ends up going up to three guys, Taliban leaders that were kind of outside, and he was just frustrated. And he said, that the, the Quran says that we're supposed to be peaceful. Why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep doing this? And they were actually pretty gracious with him and started having a conversation. And he started talking to them about the prophet Jesus. He is still leading a Bible study with these three Taliban leaders later on. I just want to let you know that in the world, we don't get to see this stuff, but there are people that are hurtful and our enemies that are coming to Jesus, and that's why we do this. We do this so that we can bring peace upon nations, but more importantly, that we can bring peace among individuals with our living God. What I have learned about life is that the greatest treasures are always where the dragon lives. I want to say that again, too. The greatest treasures are always where the dragon lives. In fact, the Bible says that uh, our, our arch enemy, our great enemy, is the dragon of old, and where he creates chaos, I can tell you, where he is creating chaos, great treasures typically live. And I want to bring that home, too. Some of your lives, some of your families are just rocking, and, and, and it's pretty toxic, and you need to stay away from all that. I get that, because it's not really helpful, but I will tell you, as love hopes all things, you constantly be praying and looking towards your family, towards that situation, because where the enemy is doing his greatest work, the testimonies become the greatest testimonies of God's power to be able to transform truly broken lives. Hollywood understands the story about the dragon. They've made hundreds of millions of dollars doing that. In fact, there's something else I want to encourage you because I, I just, I, I speak to a lot of people, and, and I'll tell you why I'm saying this next. 
But what I want to tell you about other movies, and I'm not trying to make this about movies at all, but it's the plot, is when you see the, the, the warrior that eventually grows up and faces the dragon, he doesn't just face the dragon. Where does he usually start? With wooden sticks. And I want to encourage you because this ministry is radical and a lot of times it's really easy to think if I could just get out of my own mundane life where it just feels like it's so broken and if I could just go there, then everything's going to be okay and I'm going to tell you it won't be. If you can't learn to be faithful with what God has put right in front of you, if he were to superimpose you and plant you into where we are, you'd probably put your tail between your legs and run. I'm not being rude at all. Some of you just need to learn to be faithful to playing with sticks in front of you. And if that's the biggest message I can encourage you with is I'm not asking you to come to Sudan. What I'm asking is for you to rise up and understand that you have a call on your life. And if you'll just live for the glory of God in that moment, and let's take this to Sunday school. I'm standing up here today. I get to be in a lot of crazy parts of the world. I live on an airplane. I live in hotels. It's my life. It's just the way that God created me. But I started teaching second grade Sunday school. And I want to encourage you. It was so kind how they almost let us off the hook about teaching in Sunday school. There are some things in the scripture that are just, a, you know, they just mean the world to me. I don't have to guess about it. Undefiled religion is this. It tells me what that is. But Jesus loved the children. He said, do not forsake them from coming to me. If I can speak into the child like a child like me with the broken family I came up with and it was at 19 years old, somebody spoke into my life which transformed my life. But if somebody would have spoken in my life as a broken little second grader, I have no idea what God could do with that. But I'm going to tell you, teaching in Sunday school is a gift and a lot of times it is the beginning to teach you how to war up so that God can eventually place you somewhere else. Be faithful for what's in front of you. Don't let your emotions control, dictate your decisions. I think that's the wrong thing to do. My emotions, I'm a passionate guy, I think you guys can tell, but I do not let my emotions control me. I walk according to scripture and then my emotions have to follow. And if my emotions are controlling me ahead of what I know is supposed to be right, I will stop doing everything because what I know is that if I keep going and fall into my emotions, the enemy is surely behind it and he wants to destroy my witness he wants to destroy my life. He wants me to fall into that relationship so I can absolutely destroy everything I've ever said about God. You have to understand is you've got to get good at sticks and you've got to be faithful for where you are and try not to get ahead of God, but just run passionately for Christ, not how you feel. The greatest treasures are always where the dragon lives. And my heart aches my heart aches and I got to be careful. I'm so sorry, pastor. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm just going to take my watch off and quit looking at it and feeling guilty. In fact, I just said that and I forgot what I was going to say. So that really helps. But <laughs> my heart really does ache for the Christian that one day you're going to realize that your life could have had a greater meaning and a greater impact. And I'm dealing with somebody right now who loved Jesus their whole life, but couldn't break free of that life-dominating problem. And now she has dementia. And the Lord reminded me is that I love her, but she didn't ever get to live the life that I had planned for her. And that is a fear for me, for anybody in here, is that you can live your life knowing Jesus and still miss the glorious, amazing journey that he has planned for you. I want to encourage you so much. Please, Rise up and, and serve Jesus, whether that's in second, Sunday, second grade Sunday school 
or coming over to Sudan someday or greeting people. You greeters, you mean the world to me because you have no idea I could be walking in looking professional and having a broken heart. And by the way you look at me and love me, by the way that you greet me, really does matter. Every job around church matters because we're, we're doctors of love. We get to bring love to the brokenhearted. How amazing is that? I mean, what kind of job description is that? I get to love on hurt, hurting people. What an amazing thing that God has given us. He's not telling us that we have to go hang out with the people who hate us the most. He's telling us to love on the broken. Amazing. Many of you are going to want to get involved, and I want to invite the worship team up. Um, you're going to want to probably get involved in what we do, and I just want to say this from the pulpit. There are ways practically for you to get involved, but I want you to hear this. I am not here to take anything from this church because this church represents the light of Christ in this community. And if you want to get involved in us, please be praying. And I'm not asking you to write our name on your refrigerator, but if you're walking through the day and all of a sudden your spirit gets moved, pray for us because there's probably a good chance that somebody's in a pretty tough situation and we covet your prayers. Financially, if you want to get involved, I'm a very practical guy. Um, I don't need your help. I'm here because of the, the love of Christ compels me, and I'm here to get to know your pastor and his wife personally and intimately because we, we're hoping that they can do a few things with us on the field because of their passion and their heart. But I'm not here for that. What we want to do is we want to get you addicted to bearing good fruit and bearing good fruit first here in Napa. And it requires financial responsibility. I wish that I used to, I used to be pretty ignorant. I used to go to work and knew that there was no tree out back my house that grew money, but I just thought in church that somehow if God was behind it, there's a tree out there. And pastor, you may have that tree, but I have a feeling you probably don't have that tree. So we don't want to hurt the church at all. If you want to get involved in us financially, it has to be above and beyond what you're already being faithful to giving because we will not hurt this church. I am here because of my love for this church. If you are interested in that, don't think about me because that would take away all the integrity that I have. Um, by the way, Wes and I, our salaries are covered by a couple business guys. They're going to do that as long as they're breathing, and we're so thankful. If you are interested, the people that move my heart, that keep me up at night praying, fasting, are, the, are our chaplains as well as our underground pastors. We had a class graduate. I have some of the dossiers out there. If you want to adopt them, if you want to pray for them, you'll hear from them about every year and a half. It's hard. They're frontline combat units. These are all in tough places. They're all combat units are in the Nuba Mountains. Just look at the face. The other option where my heart is, is our underground pastors. And I have Dina up here. These are not their real names, but we have women in Muslim countries because men can't talk to women in a Muslim country. It's going to cost them their life. But we've had some brave women who love Jesus and who have stayed in some of the toughest places so they can win people to Jesus. I mean, the commitment, it just makes me want to rise up. But I have some men, families, women that you can support. And lastly, this is just Wes's heart. It doesn't make any sense, but he said, Edward, please do this. The Bible does say undefiled religion is this, is caring for widows and orphans in their need. We have a responsibility to care for the suffering, period. And part of the former Soviet Union we work in where communism really failed, I don't even understand why we're having a socialistic, communistic conversation in America. Because if you just go to Venezuela, you go to for former Soviet Union, you know that stuff doesn't work. I'm not here, this isn't a political conversation, I promise. But when you walk into 
thousands of homes of these elderly people to bring Jesus to them and you go in the refrigerator and they have nothing or they have a dried fish, a fish head, and they haven't eaten in days. I'm going to tell you, you just can't go downstairs and have lunch. You got to do something. So we have a Potatoes for Grandmother program that we take care of literally thousands of people who can't take care of themselves because we, we know that governments aren't going to change people. Uh, but the love of Jesus is. So we decided that we're going to do that and we even take care of children. Sounds weird, but I am going to ask you to do me a favor if you're going to do this, fill this form out. Um, I do ask that you would support these people monthly and automatically because we're just not going to spend thousands of dollars to send out reminders. So I would ask that you do it. You can sponsor multiple people, only what your family will allow you to do. But with that, at the end of that, what I was going to say, and, and I don't want to detract from the message, is I consider it a privilege to stand before you. I literally am before the Lord in fear and trembling before I do this because every word that speak comes out of my mouth, as I said earlier about the verse that makes me shake, I will be judged. I am free in Christ. But as a man who's been walking with the Lord and representing pretty big things, I want to walk my life out in a way that matters because I want to inspire everybody in here to walk your life out a way that matters because the world is just what's at stake. I can honestly say that I love you guys because I get to be on the mission field because you guys care for me. Thank you.